Welcome, everybody, to episode 54 of Scary Boys, Scaring Boys, an in-depth and very serious exploration into the world of horror films hosted by two guys who've seen them all. I'm your host, Trevor Dillon, and allow me to introduce my co-host, Ghostface Dorka. It's Adam Cervantes Wagner. My lawyer likes that. <laughs> yeah, okay. All right, you watch these movies. You're quoting them. That's right. Do you know I'm who are uh, the stab movies? Do you? Yeah, of course. You love you love saying the stab movies. I noticed on Letterboxd. <laughs> yeah. You love you love taking the meta approach to talking about the scream movies. Well, that's how they do it, right? Yeah. Do you know what the original name for Scream was going to be? Uh, no. I don't. It was going to be Scary Movie. Isn't that interesting? Whoa, that is interesting. Yeah, and then they parodied Scream, which somehow worked, even though Scream itself is actually already a parody. Um, I'm glad you watched these movies. I, I saw on Letterboxd you watched all four of them. We'll get to, uh, we'll play a little bit of Rank This later. But before mm. we get into the Scream movies, which, by the way, are our second Wes Craven movies that we've talked about on this episode, or this show so far. We're only 54 episodes in. Um, he's got to be one of our most, after today, he'll be one of our most represented directors we've ever done on the show. Yeah, and it's interesting. Um, he's also the second time we've talked about him on Scary Boy, Scaring Boy specifically, <laughs> yeah. a show which we've had three episodes of. Yeah, uh, exactly. Uh, yeah, you know, Scary Boy, Scaring Boy is one of our most prolific shows that we've ever done. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, but every show on Ghost Party Radio does start with something called the Dreaded Discourse. Adam, I have a few things written down. You want to chat about them? I'm ready to rock. First thing we got to get out of the way, uh, there's been a lot of Minds of Memoriam recently, mm-hmm. uh, a ton, uh, mm-hmm. certainly in the film world. Uh, we'll start here. We lost uh, legendary filmmakers uh, and actors and personalities, uh, Peter Bogdanovich and Sidney Poitier, uh, and Adam now will be giving his tribute to both. Go ahead, Adam. Um, get uh, Guess who's coming to the last picture show? Yo, not bad. Very good. Uh, we're going to be playing the last picture show uh, as a tribute here in beautiful downtown Santa Ana to Peter Bogdanovich, a movie I've always wanted to play at the theater. I've always wanted to play Targets, which uh, if you haven't seen that, that was his first feature. And it's like very gritty and kind of not really like his other work. Uh, Poitier, obviously a legend. Uh, there's the clip going around of not to make it about someone else, but Denzel, the night he won his Oscar for Training Day, um, was, I think, very clearly going to dedicate it to Sidney Poitier, who was in the building, but Sidney literally won an Oscar earlier that night anyway, so it, like, <laughs> didn't didn't need to happen, so he, like, famously said, like, um, I've been spending four, my first 40 years of my life uh, chasing after you, Sidney, and the night they finally give me the golden, or the golden statue, whatever, you get one yourself. I, I thought that was really cute, but um, yeah. Obviously, legends, and uh, it's been a rough go because we also lost um, Betty White, of course, uh, mm-hmm. right before the new year. Mm-hmm. Um, not before a her hundredth lo- uh, birthday. Yeah, right before her hundredth birthday. What a way to go out! Um, they literally had those magazines already printed out and ready to celebrate her hundredth, and she was like, "Nope, I'm good. I'm out. <laughs> no need to see 2022." Mm-hmm. Um, not a lot of uh, film credits that I can think her of her in. Uh, are you familiar with Betty White and her film work? I know she's. Got a small role in Lake Placid that's very memorable. 
uh, a movie that we would maybe talk about on Scary Boys, Scary Boys one day. Mm-hmm. I, I was a big, uh, this is not a joke. I was a big Golden Girls fan. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, um, my girlfriend, my lovely girlfriend, Jennifer, sings Thank You for Being a Friend to Our Dogs all the time. <laughs> yeah, I think that's pretty fitting. They're they're old, right? Yeah, <laughs> you know, I mean, they might look like it, but they're not they're not too old. I mean, in dog years, they're getting up there, I guess, five and six years old. But um, and then uh, we lost Bob Saget literally mm-hmm. like two days ago. It was like shocking. I, I like just losing so many people to start the year. Um, and I just want to take a moment here and just uh, take a trip into the Minds of Memoriam just to talk about it. Yeah, uh, yeah, really, all pretty influential in their own regard. Um, it is very sad to see. I think all of these pretty much caught me off off guard. You know, even though Sydney was ninety four and yeah. Eddie White was ninety nine, yeah, still, exactly. You know, uh, Bogdanovich I think was in his eighties, and mm-hmm. then of course. Um, Bob Saget was 65 or so, which was very yeah. heartbreaking. I think the most heartbreaking thing about the Bob Saget news um, that I got uh, standing in the middle of a desert in Borrego Springs was that um, we, we were just talking about him so much on our Minds of Memoriam episode about Norm MacDonald. <laughs> like, he directed Dirty Work, and we were talking about Bob Saget so much. And so to a, a couple of months later to lose him, too, it's just kind of surreal. So that one, I think, hit me probably the hardest out of it. But it's not about me. Uh, rest in peace to these four legends and uh, I hope we never have to do an episode where we open up talking about uh, four people who have passed away four for all intents and purposes um, pretty awesome people I know Bogdanovich is kind of mind-boggling the the, the the knowledge that guy had I mean like I read something like he had seen like 5,000 movies by the time or it was like 4,000 movies by the time he was 25 or something like that I mean I've seen your letterboxed what are you doing? You're not you're not putting up Bogdanovich numbers. Yeah, that's not fair though. Bogdanovich notoriously had forty TVs, <laughs> streaming. He had stre- every streaming service, and he was just streaming them all <laughs> right. um, while he was you know interviewing John Ford and all these legendary filmmakers. So and um, the Sopranos. Yeah, yeah, no. Bogdanovich was like he was so, he, for how good of a filmmaker he he had such an amazing run to start his career. For how great of a filmmaker he was, he also was just a huge film personality, you know? Like, yeah. um, anyways, let's get off of this before it gets too much of a bummer because we do have a lot of fun stuff to talk about. Uh, did you have anything that you want to talk about other than uh, what I just did? Yeah, I hope Herzog makes it through the year. Oh, Herzog's fine. He'll be fine. Don't worry about it. So it looks like I saw Red Rocket. You did not see Red Rocket. That's right. Unfortunately, I haven't caught it yet. But I will have to as per our uh, drafting. Absolutely. So, as everyone knows, I do have Red Rocket on my Can 2021 team. It uh, played over here in beautiful downtown Santa Ana, and I gotta say, I think Red Rocket may have just officially put your team in the dirt, my friend. Whoa. Okay. Well. Okay. First of all, neither <laughs> of us have seen After Yang yet. It's true. <laughs> it's true. And Red Rocket. Uh, I, I'm, I'm kind of big a little. Um, I, I just wanted the poll quote. <laughs> Um, I liked Red Rocket. I, I yeah. thought it was very entertaining throughout. I think most people who will watch it will find it very entertaining. But um, I don't know. It it didn't do what I always say about moving the needle. Uh, it did not move the needle. I'm kind of joking a little bit. Um, I don't really know what to make of it, to be honest with you. I found it very 
politically muddled, and I just wish I knew what Sean Baker was trying to say with Red Rocket. Not everything needs to be so cut and dry, but um, awesome performance in Simon Rex. Um, I, I really I loved. God, I can't believe I don't have the name. Susanna Son, the the actress actress who's in it, who that just came to my mind immediately when I said I wish I had it written down. Um, <laughs> She's great in it, and uh, the movie is classic Sean Baker. And if he just keeps making movies like this the rest of his career, I think he'll be one of the, you know, most important American voices we'll ever have. You know, but uh, this one did feel a little muddled. There's a lot of political subtext to it that I, I just couldn't quite place, or maybe I don't know. Maybe it was just there to place what year the movie took place in. Like a, uh, but it's a, it's no killing them softly. I'll say that killing them softly had. The, a very similar thing with like debates going on in the background and stuff but that movie had a pointed political message this one i'm not so sure but i really really enjoyed it i would not say i have officially won the competition yet but <laughs> i will say a movie that's also on my team that's coming out soon uh the worst person in the world uh, I don't want to call out any previous guests of this show, but I'm seeing a lot of people who are watching The Worst Person in the World, and I want to let them know, we see you, and we are not narcs, but I need to know where you people are seeing this movie at. That is pretty whack. I keep seeing it pop up, and really high reviews, obviously, on my letterbox from those people that we know. Uh, all guests of the show that I've seen so far, what yeah, the heck's like- going on here? I'm I I, I we're, I'm not gonna narc. No one's getting in, in, in any trouble. But there's got to be a screener that's being passed around, right? Because I don't think it's playing anywhere, unless I just haven't looked it up. I guess we're the cool ones, Trevor. I know, you know. Well, we'll we'll find it. We'll find out. It's coming out officially, legitimately, at the beginning of February, and hopefully we can play it over here. And uh, I think that'll be the one that puts your team in the dirt. I'm going to text one of them right now and see if we get a response <laughs> during the podcast of where they saw it. But if the, if it's legitimate, we can tell people where to watch it. But if it's if it's not, we're not narking. We don't do that. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. But also, like, at this point, it's so close to coming out that it's like, don't even send me the screener. Like, I'll just wait and watch it on the big screen. Yeah, but at the same time, too, they are posting that they've watched it. I know. I'm seeing everybody post that they've watched it. So it's, it's how just are like, we narking them? Sundance is going digital again this year, which it will continue to do because basically with COVID and any variants, we're just going to lose quarter one of the year at every every music festival, every film festival. Uh, Until we can get a grip on this thing, every year at Thanksgiving and Christmas, people are going to get very sick, and then we're going to lose Sundance every single year. So it's going to be digital, and man, the amount of screeners that are going to be illegally passed around after Sundance is going to be crazy. Uh, I'm not not too excited about that. But um, ah, anyways, speaking about uh, The Worst Person in the World coming out very soon. My last straight of discourse is that, um, Adam, we have made the decision here at the Frida Cinema as of this uh, episode being posted. Surely uh, we'll have announced that we're going to be shutting down the theater um, for at least a couple of weeks, at least, because things are getting kind of crazy out there. I don't mean to bring the episode down too much. Don't call me Shirley. (laughs) Wow, you did it. You saved it with your your classic dry wit. (laughs) Yeah, that is uh, a bummer, but also... uh... You know, uh, not an ignoble choice. Yeah, um, we're going to just immediately pivot to because we're so ready this time. You know what I mean? We're going to close down for at least a couple of weeks. Our hope is that we can open back up in February with um, some of the stuff that we had to can't. We're going to have to cancel heat collateral, some of our manuary stuff. 
the Omodovar movie we wanted to play. Just uh, I, you know what? I really want to play that Dasha Nefkakova movie that we're supposed to open this weekend, but will be closed. Uh, the Scary of Sixty First. Really? I've heard a lot of extreme things about that movie, and not none of them are positive. <laughs> Which hopefully you all out there are also not positive. Yeah, absolutely. But like the the chances are just so low. I mean. Our, um, it's just it, it, no one, no one, everyone miraculously here on staff ha, has stayed healthy throughout this whole thing. It's just a choice we've made uh, due to our mission statement and something that we've promised um, the community is that if, when the ICU beds start to be affected by this virus, um, it's time to shut down. And I listen. No one else is doing it. No one. No, I don't mean just cinemas. I mean places across the country. No one else is shutting down. But we're going to shut down. Um, it's awesome that we're in a place where we're able to shut down. But I, uh, honestly, canceling programming, moving programming, this stuff takes way longer than actually programming it. So I've just yeah. been so busy um, doing all that. But I will say we're going to be going. And I know this podcast is not for advertising stuff at the Frida, but I want to let people know that we're shifting to the drive-ins at least a couple of times a week right now. And even when we reopen, we're just going to keep doing drive-ins uh, as long as we can, as long as people want to see movies there. Uh, I think we're going to be opening with uh, El Topo and the Holy Mountain. Uh, we're going to do Stop Making Sense. And these are movies that just the Frida will go to when we need people. I need people to get excited about the drive-ins again. Uh, we're going to be doing an outdoor screening of The Wizard of Oz. Uh, we're going to be doing Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, of course. Uh, Akira. Uh, Mandy. Haosu. Yeah, all this stuff by the end of February. We're going to be playing all these movies. So uh, it's, it's our anniversary month next month. So we're bringing out the big guns. And hopefully uh, I might see some of you listeners at the drive-in. I would like to bring up something that's been on my mind for a very long time. Um, and I don't know if I'm right, but I'm going to be uh, stubborn about it. You ready? You're going to be brave? Yeah, here's my hot take. I think I think you can just call it house. <laughs> Do you mean me specifically because you've heard me say houseu? No, I've heard a lot of people <laughs> say houseu because I think they want to be like, oh, look, I watched a crazy Japanese film. But traditionally in Japanese, you would usually pronounce the su particle yeah. without the u at the end. Okay. So I think it would still be pronounced house. Well, uh, scary boy, uh, just <laughs> so you know, there was a cult series of horror films that came out in the 80s called House in America. Uh-huh. So if I say house, you might get confused with those films. I might get it confused with the Hugh Laurie show. That's true. We might be streaming uh, a a show that was off the air on Fox years ago at the drive-in. You wouldn't know the difference. Do his catchphrase. I, I, dude, I, okay, fine. It, it, uh, it, um, oh, it's Hugh Grant. Fuck. Who is it? Hugh Laurie? (laughs) I was doing, like, the stuttering Hugh Grant voice. Uh, Does he actually have a catchphrase? I don't know. I've never seen the show. Uh, I, I have a walking cane. Um, okay, so um, that's all I remember about that character is that he had a walking cane and he uh, was very serious. Very I think more mo- true to the show would be, you idiot, I have a walking cane. <laughs> Wait, that's right. He he didn't have a British accent in the show. Yeah, and he was uh, mean. Yeah, he, he was one of those British guys who did his English ac- American accent, I should say, and is like, I am American. I talk like this. <laughs> like just over-enunciating everything. Right, which we will actually get into uh, in the Scream quadrilogy. Yes, we will. Let's get to it now. Let's talk about the Scream series. Da, 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 da. Um, so Trevor, well, I, I wanted you to tap your microphone so you could add in a nice sound effect there of the Scream series. Oh, yeah, I know. I, I did add it. <laughs> I heard it. Good job. 
Um, so Trevor, uh, I don't know how uh, distracted you were watching this movie. I know about your red right hand. do you write this stuff i mean this is like it's very funny folks he definitely had that one locked and loaded but like why like why not do decent good comedy when you have stuff locked and loaded that was i was just trying to make it work somehow um adam were this was this your first time seeing any of these movies yeah i'd never delved in i'd never really known anything about these movies other than the mask um and then the fact that they were meta but i wasn't sure in what way yeah, so these are written by – I think we might have talked about this at the top, but these are – first and foremost, we need to talk about who wrote these movies, uh, at least the first three. That's uh, Kevin Williamson. Does that name mean anything to you? No. Uh, okay, well, I'll, I'll explain. So Kevin Williamson okay. uh, came up real fast in is the 90s. Well, yeah. <laughs> yes, my, my real name is Kevin Williamson Jr. <laughs> uh, no, Kevin Williamson is a young uh, hotshot who came up in the 90s. He actually uh, executive produced, created the show Dawson's Creek. Um, so he was very much in that teen circle. So he wrote, uh, I know what you did last summer. And then famously, uh, the script for this, which was kind of, kind of floating around Hollywood as a very hot script. Like I told you, it was called scary movie. Mm -hmm. Um, you get Wes Craven to sign on. That's the guy. That's who, that's who you want uh, to make this movie. (laughs) Um, sort of, uh, a guy who has like multiple great horror franchises, just adding another one to his cap. Um, and it must be said that the four movies we're talking about today, all directed by Wes Craven. Uh, they have they have a vision to them all through one director. Mm-hmm. Um, and I suppose, yeah, we talk about Kevin Williamson, we talk about Wes Craven. Uh, I think that the reason we're talking about this movie, obviously, is because there's a new one coming out uh, this weekend, uh, not directed by the dearly departed Wes Craven. Um, it's uh, directed by the two dudes who made uh, the film Ready or Not. Have you seen the movie Ready or Not? Yeah, you're talking about uh, Cress Waven. <laughs> yes. I have not seen Ready or Not. That's um, the Harley Quinn joint, right? Uh, Ready or Not is not the Harley Quinn joint. It is uh, an original uh, kind of horror movie that came out a couple of years ago starring uh, Samara Weaving, who does look a lot like Margot Robbie. Oh. And then uh, Adam Brody of the OC fame. And it's, uh, it's about this rich family who... Uh, every year uh, after a couple, their couple and their family, not every year, but every time that a couple and their family gets married, yeah. they uh, they play a game, an all-night game, where they uh, try to murder the bride. Oh, I totally uh, thought that was Margot Robbie. It's not Margot Robbie. Yeah, it's a Samara Weaving who looks a lot like Margot Robbie. I don't know. Why, why, <laughs> would, they, why would they get someone else famous that looks like that if they already have Margot Robbie? Yeah, and also they probably could have just gotten Margot Robbie. Yeah. Uh, but no, it's a fun movie, definitely fun. So when I heard that they were uh, going to make this one, writing and directing it, I was like, it's a good fit. It feels like these guys have a young, fresh approach to this. I don't know if they're young or not. They're probably like in their like, you know, late 30s, which Adam, for me, very young. <laughs> uh, but so I want to say this right up top, and it's the, it's the one thing I have written down because I'm very familiar with these movies. I rewatched the fourth one and the second one because weirdly those are the two that I'm not the most familiar with. I'm hmm. very familiar with the first one and oddly extremely familiar with the third one because uh, it just was a VHS I had when I was young and for some reason it was like always playing. Of course, the third one, which a lot of, a lot of people do consider the worst one. Um, have you noticed at all the marketing campaign for this new Scream, which we'll just call Scream Five? 
Not really. Not until recently, your retweets and whatnot. Um, <laughs> but I've not seen the trailer or anything. Okay. I'm doing my part. I will say this. Uh, very hot take right here, uh, early-ish in the episode. Uh, the marketing team for Scream 5 is doing the best job I've ever seen a marketing team do on a movie of this mid-level budget. Like a movie that I'm assuming has somewhere from a 40 to a $50 million budget. Um, they're putting out it almost feels like they're putting out posters daily at this point. They put out, I think, one trailer. They have not released a trailer that's really given into the hook of the movie. That's why I think the movie has something really like fun and special for us in store. They've kind of given us a very generic trailer. Uh, I know you said you haven't seen it. But when you, when you watch it, you go, eh, yeah, that looks like a Scream movie. But you kind of know that these younger filmmakers who just made this hot you know, horror movie ready or not, you know they have something in store. And um, I don't know, man. There's just something about, like, everywhere I turn, like, my girlfriend will tell me about, like, some influencer who's magically talking about Scream or uh, a fun uh, – on Twitter, if you type in hashtag Scream, the little thing comes up. I think they've really tapped in to nostalgia and social media. And I think those mixed together, even at the height of Omicron this weekend, I think this movie is going to make some cash. I don't know if it will make Halloween Kills cash, but I think it's going to make some um, some very good money – and I think it's going to prove that the only two genres that people are going out to see right now are horror movies and superhero movies. And that might have been true for the last six, seven years. <laughs> yeah, no, but I think <laughs> even right now, I think the horror crowds, like, like fully on the record, I will say it right now, I am going to see Scream 5 opening night. <laughs> like, like, Friday <laughs> night. Now, granted, I am going to the Alamo Draft House in downtown LA. There's only about 30 seats in those theaters, and they're pretty spaced out. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously I'll have my um, KN95 mask, which I just bought, uh, nice. upgraded from the N95. Um, and, yeah, I'm seeing it opening night because uh, they're also doing that thing that Marvel does where Scream, you know, the Twitter for Scream is is telling people, watch out for spoilers, watch out for spoilers. Meanwhile, there aren't really any spoilers online. They're just fear-mongering you to be like, you have to watch this movie early or it will be spoiled for you. This is exactly what the Marvel movies do. So I'm here to say it. In recent memory, I have not seen a marketing team do a better job than the Scream marketing team. Shout out to the Scream marketing team. I don't know anybody on that team. And the crazy thing is I know they're not getting paid more money than any other marketing team. They're just doing a way better job with this particular franchise. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll see. Uh, I am. Well, I, I guess I won't spoil it yet before <laughs> I, to, to know how excited I may or may not be for this Scream. Five. No, let's do it right now. Let's do it right now. Adam, are you? I'm not going to ask you if you're going to go see it because it could obviously just be a health concern thing. But mm-hmm. are you excited for Scream five? Uh, the the answer is yes whoa for real like you're actually you want you're 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 geared up and you're ready to see it yeah by the way uh we're we're going no holds barred spoilers on this baby oh 1000 um, percent. Yeah. yeah no we're not so. going to spoil anything from scream 5 neither of us have seen scream 5 if i see anybody on the letterbox timeline that's seen scream 5 uh i don't know what i'm going to do i thought the worst person in the world was enough but that would that would be enough to send me over the edge i think <laughs> Um, but yeah, we're going to be talking about everything in this movie. We'll list out everyone who dies and who the killers are. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll, um, we'll give you the full rundown. So it's not an emphatic yes, because I think this was my first time watching all of them, and I watched all four movies in the span of three days, and I think yeah. that may be the worst way to watch them. 
Sure, yeah. I mean, you know, it's interesting because Scream 1 and Scream 2 came out one year. Like, I think actually less than one year apart. They made the second one very, very quickly. And we'll talk about the second one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I think there was a little bit of a gap between the third one. And then there was a mm-hmm. big gap between the fourth one. I think the fourth one came out in 2011. I think the third one came out in, like, 99 or 98. Um, uh, I, got, so, I got your numbers for you. Sure. I got it's 96, 97, 2000, and 2011. Okay, so yeah, so the gaps just keep getting bigger, and then this one's coming out 11 years after. So um, so yeah, 11 years between the third one and the fourth one, and then weirdly, <laughs> Adam, this is going to blow your mind, it's been 11 years since 2011. Oh, whoa, whoa, what? Uh, yeah, it's uh, just like all everyone's lame-ass takes online of, oh, what is time anymore? Oh, what is time? You feel old yet? What no, but I mean from uh from COVID, everyone's like, oh, I don't even know what time is anymore in the COVID world. It's like, hey, this is the new normal. Get it together, folks. Yeah, and Elmo's yelling at Rocco. <laughs> I thought you. I thought when you said Elmo's yelling at, for some reason, I thought that was the name of your cat that I just heard make another another disruption in this podcast. You learned in the last episode. Yes, your cat's name is Banana. No That's bits. It. I, I know the name, and the name is Banana. Yeah. Um, so, all right. So, where do you want to start? Um, I think. Let's. I, you know what? Do we want to just write up the top? I, I don't like holding back information. Sometimes I do. Sometimes I do. But I made you admit up front if you were excited for Scream Five. I think people took a collective sigh there of relief and were like, <laughs> "Okay, all right, okay." So it's not going to be a combative episode. I do quite like these Scream movies. Thank you for asking. Uh, <laughs> wait, wait. Let me let me finish my train of thought here. The sure, reason sure. that I'm not emphatically saying yes is because watching them so close together makes it a worse experience. Unlike in Scream Four during the Stabathon, where they had a great time, I didn't really just because these movies, uh, while very fun and very creative, each one of them, I think are formulaic in their own way. Yeah, yeah, and you know, so watching them. Uh, right next to each other makes it very apparent. It makes it kind of like, uh, I don't know, kind of gets boring a little bit at times. During the yes. Movie. So this is a problem I have with double features sometimes is that people will run double features. I know Brain Dead Studios. Shout out Brain Dead Studios. Awesome. Fairfax. Love the theater. Great place. We should go sometime. Uh, not you and me. I mean me and the listeners. Uh, they did a, a series that was um, original and remake. They were doing double features where they would play the original and they would play the remake. And I'm not a huge fan of that. I think that um, gets. I think it's boring. Yeah. I think that even something as good as The Evil Dead and Evil Dead Two, two movies that are great. I think that it's repetitive. So I, I've seen a lot of people. I know Sinespia did a double feature of Scream One and Scream Two, and I've talked to a lot of people who went to that double feature, and a lot of them left after the first movie uh and i'm not because of this but i was like honestly that's fine because the movies are like you just said very similar so it's like kind of watching them it, i can see how it got repetitive over the last four days whereas if you had that 11 year gap you would be like ah oh, yes the, this type of movie that i have enjoyed you know yeah it's very weird and that's and that's why i'm not i mean that's one reason why i'm not going to go see it opening night um and, but I feel like I will probably enjoy Scream 5 a lot, but I do want to wait just for yeah. my own experience, you know? I just – my one recommendation, I know I saw someone on uh, Twitter today saying <laughs> – linking to her Patreon, uh, Jordan Cruciola, who is a great follow um, and has an aw- a couple of awesome podcasts, the Austerian podcast and the Disaster Girls podcast. And um, she said, one thing, leave Sydney Prescott alone. Do not kill – 
my favorite character <laughs> in Scream 5 just to kill my favorite. You know what I mean? Like, right. And I was like, I'm sort of on that as well. And I, I'm getting a little in the, in the depths right now. But um, Who has uh, absolutely gotten more attractive every My movie. goodness. Neve Campbell is a stone cold fox. Yeah. Jesus Christ. I saw I saw her doing press with David Arquette and Courtney uh, Cox Arquette. Or I think she just goes back to Courtney Cox, obviously. But um, David Arquette rules also. We'll talk about David Arquette. But um, yeah, I, I just I, I think that it, I have a little weird feeling about watching a screen movie that's not directed by Wes Craven. But uh, leave Sydney Prescott alone. I, I agree with that. And also, um, I need to see the West dedication at the end. Like, I need to sit through the whole thing, and I need to see the four Wests. And I think that'll be really sad, because I, I went to a screening one time at the Arclight. And yes, this is how this episode's going to be, Adam. Sorry. Um, <laughs> I went to a screening at the Arclight one time of Children of Men at the Arclight Dome. Uh, and it was a series they were doing where they were playing great movies, and they would have filmmakers talk about the movies. But they wouldn't announce who the filmmakers would be because it wasn't the filmmaker who made the movie. <laughs> so I went and saw Children of Men, and the filmmaker who came out to talk about Children of Men after it was Wes Craven, of all people. Oh, okay. um, and this was, I think, like four or five months before he passed away. He had, uh, he had brain cancer. Oh. And um, I, I did no one knew, obviously. He just, you know, passed, um, uh, you know, uh, to the public's view kind of uh, un- unexpectedly. And... Uh, that was a big thing where I was like, man, he is so affable and seems so nice for this guy who makes these movies. And if you've ever watched any commentaries or behind-the-scenes stuff on those screen movies, all of these actors love Wes Craven. Like, he, like, seems like if he didn't make these, like, super scary fucked-up movies, like, he feels like America's dad. So I'm a huge Wes Craven fan, and I know he made a lot of not great movies, but his stamp on the horror scene is undeniable. So when I heard they were making another one, I was a little, little dubious. So um, if they can really leave Cindy Prescott alone and I get a four West dedication at the end, then we're all good. Uh, I'm fine with it. Okay. Um, yeah, I think it was cool to see him in that very first movie cameo. That was a nice yeah. one. Yeah, he's not uh, afraid of putting West himself Carpenter. in his movies. <laughs> yes. Uh, okay, so let's start here. No more secrets. I think you should rank them. I think you should rank them for the fans out there. Uh, I'd, I'd rank them in order. You would rank them chronologically? Yeah, I think so. Um, it, it, I probably would change that in the future, but I do think one is amazing. I loved scary, er, Scream. Um, And then I really enjoyed Scream 2. You know, it wasn't quite as good, but it had a lot of really cool moments. Right. um, Yeah. Interesting. Uh, So so a lot of people would be totally with you here. A lot of people will flip-flop 2 and 1. The more interesting thing is, do you prefer Scream 3 to Scream 4? Adam, I'm with you. I think Scream 3 is better than Scream 4. Scream 4 felt um, when I had watched it, and I just rewatched it because it was the one I was the least familiar with, weirdly. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of like you said, repetitive, half baked, making um, a more meta commentary on the sequels. You know, because by 2011 everything was being remade, everything was a sequel, etc. Um, too many new characters and actors. Like it felt like it was like almost kind of flexing in a weird way. Um, I like the purity of part three. Uh, part three, Adam has my favorite sequence in all of the movies weirdly whoa interesting um the, we'll talk about that um so yeah. so your rankings go one two three four very simple yeah. very clean uh, mine go two i think the second one is the best 
one, <laughs> very, very close. I think they're both great. Uh, then three, four, yeah. Uh, okay, yeah. All right, let's get into the debate of one versus two, I guess. Sure. Yeah, I mean, yes, we'll, we'll probably be talking more about the first and second movie here than the third and fourth movie, even though mm-hmm. I just claimed the third one has my favorite sequence. And the fourth one has your favorite character, Trevor. <laughs> That's right. I've been seeing a lot of shitty characters named Trevor recently in media, <laughs> and I don't, I don't appreciate it. What do you think? Yeah. Who are they basing that on, huh? Yeah. Um, yeah, you know what's interesting? Let me let me take the first blow at, at uh, Scream 2, a movie that I really liked. Sure. Um, they, uh, I was watching it with Taylor. She watched 1 and 2 with me simultaneously. Mm-hmm. And uh, she pointed out, why, why did they even bother having the character of Salt? Or what, what's uh, her name? Um... Yeah. If if it's uh, what's his name's mom, right? Um, who's Laurie Met- Laurie Metcalf? Yeah, Laurie Metcalf. Oscar who- no- Oscar nominee Laurie Metcalf, which who gives one of the craziest performances <laughs> in that movie. Yeah, she's so good. Um, but but like she's obviously she has a motive, right? It's revenge, and actually that sort of ending, um, talking about like uh, oh I'm gonna blame it on the horror movies, and then that guy dies, and then it's like well I raised my kids right, you know what she's saying. I yes. love that commentary. That's pretty. It's great. That was pretty. It's smart. fantastic. You got to think about the context in the country when this movie came out. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but anyway, why why was she? Why did she have that character of the reporter? She didn't need to be in the mo- that part, movie. You know, if she was coming here for revenge, why not just lay low the whole time and then go for the kill? Yeah. So just like give the audience absolutely no no red airing, no establishment of the character. And then, cause I think that that feels too Scooby Doo random out of like, who, the, who's this character? You know what I mean? But, uh, well, no, I agree. But in terms of like, well, I know it works for the sake of the movie, but I mean, right. in, in the sake of like reality, Sure. Which I guess I don't know if this really movie really exists in reality. Yeah, this movie uh, exists on the backs of tropes and stuff like that. So it's it's really just playing with the trope of the red airing and the setting up. I get it. It's not the most practical line of attack for that character in real life. Mm. And also, the absolute worst movie theater audience in history. I love it. Stab. I love it. We need oh. we need to talk about this. We need to talk about this. These movies all have something in common, and it's a killer opening scene. That's what Absolutely. these screen movies are known for. And if I'm those two dudes, and I'm so sorry, I don't know their names, no disrespect. I think they did a really fun job with Ready or Not. I'm excited to see their new movie. Those two guys have a lot. When you sit down and you put pen to paper on a Scream 5 script, you got to come up with an awesome opening scene, or the audience is going to be like, this one's not good as the other ones. Right. <laughs> um, I, although I think I do think the, the opening in 4 was stronger than 3. See, the opening of three is my favorite sequence of the entire the entire series. Whoa. Okay. I have such an emotional attachment to that opening because the first one obviously has an incredible, I mean, like the horror sequence to end horror sequences. People are constantly trying to recreate that sequence. Second one, <laughs> that the movie theater, super fun, fantastic. I love it. The yeah. third one, I have this weird emotional attachment because the Cotton character, played by Leif Schreiber, <laughs> there's like all these amazing actors in these movies. Yeah. Um, that is a brutal, brutal scene to me. Like I like him weaving through traffic, him getting there and being murdered. I don't know why, but it affected me as a kid. Like it yeah. always was a little scarier than everything else to me. And I can't quite place it because I didn't rewatch the third one, but I remember it being like very violent and being like, oh my God, they killed off Cotton? That's crazy. Like that's that's the character that like Sydney has been convinced or the audience has been convinced for so long is actually behind all these killings and we're killing them off in the first scene which is really interesting 
I do like where he went over the course of those three years. Yes, absolutely. And then he becomes a controversial talk show host. <laughs> yeah, it's the best. It's, it's great. <laughs> yeah, that was um, really good. Um, but, but yeah, no, let's I, talk about that opening scene to, to two. Tell me about it. Y- yeah. Uh, first of all, it, pr- it, it sort of reaffirms exactly what you're saying of how strong the opening scene for one is by reshooting that scene. And you're like, oh, this is how uh, other people would make it. And you could see what's missing is sort of the right. soul of the movie. And that's really cool, I think. But we get the soul of the movie outside of the movie in the movie theater. Uh-huh. Um, but, oh, my God, the people yelling uh, and dressed up like that. It, it, this was the first stab, I believe, right? No, no, yes. they're going to see stab two. Yes. Yeah, okay. So they, it, it is the fanatics already. But they're just like up and screaming, get her, get her. And it's like, no, no, it is stab one they're, they're watching. I think they are watching stab one because it's recreating the first scene. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I, it's so they're all so obnoxious. There's no way anyone's having a good time. And then she goes out to the theater to like get popcorn and candy and everything. And there's just people like milling about. What the heck's going on? The movie's happening inside. Why are people hanging out in the lobby? I think it's yeah. I think it's a really funny. Listen, you have no idea what movie going was like in 1998. Yeah, how old were you in 1998? Three. Uh, yeah. Yeah, so so you have no idea. I also have no idea because seven. But I will say, or, or eight. Um, I I will say I love the setting it in that in that you know I, I love how meta it immediately becomes like it like immediately doubles down. It immediately is such a sequel, which I really love. Mm-hmm. And again, the thing that the scream movies do is that they're so effortless, effortlessly not. That's not true. They're not effortlessly meta. Once the fourth one rolls around, they're really trying hard to be meta, but. Um, they can be really funny, but like that stabbing in the ear sequence in the bathroom is so just like the first one with a, how a Drew Barrymore uh, dies. Mm. They, when these movies want to get nasty, and like with what I was saying with Cotton, they get really violent. And you like this is one of the very few horror franchises where like when you think of a horror movie like growing up, right? And I do have an I do have a story because we're gonna obviously talk about the iconic opening scene of the first one, but. When you think about horror movies, you think about movies where, like, a, a person takes, like, an axe or something and stabs someone, and we're going to see the whole thing, right? Mm-hmm. And when you watch these movies, almost never that's the case. They never actually show the puncture. You just kind of hear it and stuff like that. The Scream movies, to my recollection, very famously just show the knife going into the skin, which is very unsettling to actually see. And... um Ghostface Killer gets he gets very very stab happy throughout these. So when the guy gets stabbed in the ear, it's like, whoa my god! I have never thought about getting stabbed in the ear, and that is just so unsettling. Um, so me visiting these movies for the first time um, now, uh, I didn't find them that violent at all. Wow! Uh, I thought the most violent moments were was the actually the opening when we see um, that opening character, uh, Drew Barrymore's character like strung up with her guts out and that was that was probably the most graphic that i think the movies ever got and the closest i got to going ew yeah uh well strong move to really establish that this is what this killer can do yeah. right up top um let's talk about that scene so i'm in hawaii um uh with my family and i'm like what six or whatever when the first one comes out uh-huh. they go across the street to the video store because when you're young and you go on vacation or at least for me, it was like, oh, cool, we get to go to the video store and watch movies, you know, while the adults are actually, like, 
Uh, I was parented weird. But anyways, um, uh, <laughs> so we pick up Scream, and my, my family's going to watch Scream because it's like the hot new movie, right? And I'm obviously not allowed to watch it because good call. It's very violent. And the opening scene was happening, and I'm upstairs, and I'm kind of looking. I'm kind of sneaking down the stairs. This is a very, very vivid memory for me. And I'm watching it kind of through the rungs of the stairwell. And, um, yeah, two-story uh, Hawaii uh, <laughs> uh, timeshare. Don't worry about it. Um, and that scene happens. And it is that is a very scarring sequence. Because the second after you see her hanging in that tree, I'm, I'm sprinting back up the steps. And I'm never watching Scream. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. that is a really intense sequence. What do you think of the homage to Psycho there? The casting of a drew barrymore level actress and then killing her off in the first scene did it take you by surprise or did you know about it you mean the homage to vertigo (laughs) sure yes of course homage to vertigo and psycho and just who else does that though there's no No, other filmmaker that's a that's a deep cut joke from scream 3 baby oh really yeah when uh the actress gets killed she's talking about right before she talks about like are we really going to do another stab in the shower scene? They did it in Vertigo. Oh, that's really funny. Okay, yeah. well, I thought you were actually making reference to Vertigo because there is no. – she dies in the beginning of Vertigo. Yeah. Um, you think that she dies or whatever. But um, what, did you know about that sequence? Uh, had you heard anything about it? Um, not – yes, right before because the person that I watched uh. with – yeah, it was so close. But the person I watched with, um, I invited her over to watch it with me because that's how I was going to get through it. And she was like, oh, yeah, those movies are so cool. I really like how, you know, Drew Barrymore, you think she's going to be in the movie, but she dies in the opening. Uh, uh, what are you doing? Why? <laughs> to, <laughs> to her credit, she, I, the way we were talking about it was way more ambiguous, where I think she'd assumed that I saw it. And also, totally. to my credit, I made her feel really bad throughout, constantly <laughs> throughout the, new, the next two movies. Yeah, it's um, it's a. I mean, like just the popping of the popcorn, that old school. Like I've never made popcorn like that, but like just the popping of the popcorn on the stove. That's kind of the ticking time bomb of the scene, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, just uh, the, I mean, just the calling and the voice modulator and just the the very simple. Well, what's your favorite scary movie? I mean, just immediately extremely iconic stuff. Talking about other horror movies, so we know that we're in a world that other horror movies exist in. Um, it's not until like the, um, oh my gosh, what's that? What's the guy's name? Jamie, Jamie Kennedy. Uh, until the Jamie Kennedy character comes in and just starts openly very much talking about like, these are the rules when you're in a horror movie. Uh, <laughs> what, did, what did you think of the meta-ness of, of the Ghostface killer in the beginning? I'm sorry. His name is just Ghostface. I don't know why I keep calling him Ghostface. Because you're, you're a Wu-Tang for life. Yeah. Shout out Wu Tang, but um, yeah. What did you um? Do you like the menace of the Jamie Kennedy character, or do you prefer the kind of I like the killer being meta, or do both coincide perfectly fine with you? Uh, Jamie Kennedy's character is my favorite, um, for sure, and I loved him in all three movies. Yeah, um, and it was an interesting variation in the fourth one, but yeah, I, I really loved him. Did not see him getting killed in the second. But I like the way that they brought him back in the third. Well, that's uh, another. And how do you not say that scene is violent? He gets brutally murdered in that van, like brutally he gets taken into the van. The van closes. See, for me, violence isn't blood. Okay, if you're gonna okay. show blood, anyone can do that. You can get a bottle of it and pour it on your arm. <laughs> I really so need when, to see. So when they some... find him, he's covered in blood. But that does nothing. Like you want to see it, the act. Yeah, it doesn't mean anything to me. Even even like some of the knife stabs um, doesn't mean anything to me. It it still doesn't feel real because I'm so 
effed up in my own head. I was going to say, you're exposing a lot on this, on this <laughs> podcast right now. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> but I really love the way he does it. He's very charming, the way he comes across with all that stuff, especially in the first film. I think that it's crazy to like the second movie more than the first film because the first film has these really great little details sewn throughout, like Wes Carpenter, you know, casual throw-off, <laughs> or like Jamie Lee Curtis st- uh, with the knife out on the TV just as the TV's about to fall on someone's head. Yeah, You, you know, all the little, like, homages, and, and it's it's really so delicately crafted where I think the second one is great, but I don't think quite as devilish in its details. Totally. I give the second one more credit because it's so doesn't need to be nearly as good as it is. And um, apparently they were rewriting the script like crazy on the set because it was such a rushed production. And I just think it's a really good reaction movie to the first one. It's not just some it's not just some they're not remaking the first one so strictly. And it's also not like a connector movie to get us to the third in the trilogy, mm-hmm. because a lot of these Friday the 13th and Nightmare on Elm Street's excuse me to the diehards out there. But I'm famously I don't really watch the sequels to these movies because uh, the ones that I have watched have just they just get so lazy immediately. Like the second movie is so lazy in a lot of these franchises where mm-hmm. he, he really went in on the second one, um, definitely. But um, the first one definitely has the most. Uh, you had mentioned the the Laurie Metcalf Oscar nominee Laurie Metcalf uh, uh, performance in the second one as one of the killers. Timothy Oliphant obviously is in it as well, looking mm-hmm. very good. Uh, everyone looks very good in these movies. Yeah. Uh, it's funny that they call him the Tarantino. Uh, Jamie Kennedy calls him like the Tarantino film boy. Yeah. And then Oliphant ends up in a Tarantino movie not too well years after. You, many years after. <laughs> Twenty years after. Yeah. But still. Yeah, he did it. He got there. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, and then uh, everyone looks really good in these movies. Uh, we'll talk about Courtney Cox's bangs in the third one here pretty soon. But um, so the first one has the most interesting killers, I think. Uh, cutting yeah. it up between Matthew Lillard and um, God damn. And Shaggy. Oh, do we? We just we just absolutely gave up on doing research for this show. <laughs> yeah. Well, because um, we're, we're like the true s- s- film watchers, but not film. Nerds. But do you know how fr- frustrating it is to, for someone to listen to this episode and be like, yeah, we know Matthew Lillard, obviously Shaggy from the Scooby-Doo movie. We know his name. But how do you not know? that? And I can't think of the other gentleman's name. Greasy was like, McGee. Yeah, well, he was such he was such a, um, a sex icon of that time. Sex icon. Yeah, yeah, no, that's right. Oh, we'll, we'll say for you, drop. maybe. Yeah, he was such a, a – and I will – his name will pop up in my head, and I refuse. You will not hear me typing anything <laughs> here pretty soon. But – um, I do love the discourse that's come up lately, and even uh, uh, Nev Campbell has said in interviews about um, the repression of those characters. Yeah, um, I, I honestly, I, I, I turned to Taylor, who I was watching with, and I said, I, I would have liked it better if they'd kissed. Yeah, uh, well, well, here's the thing: is that I, I, I haven't rewatched it, but I, if I recall correctly, one of those characters certainly likes the other, but the other one, I think, maybe doesn't. Um, so I don't think that they're super repressed for each other. I think that one pines over the other quite a bit more. Yeah. Well, I think, and let's get into a pound for pound thing, um, Mm -hmm. of the first versus the second. I think the scene, the reveal scene kind of, and where the two of those characters are talking and like, uh, telling their plan and like stab each other, you know, I think is such an excellent film scene, like scene in movie history. And I think that the, Second, this that scene in the second movie is solid enough, but doesn't yeah. quite get there. It's in like it's very theatrical in the second one. Like they're literally yeah. on like a stage and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. No, of course. Okay, listen. The first one's great. I'm not going to argue with you. I think the first it's one's the great. It's the best I mean, one. 
Forever. Uh, for sure, I love Lillard on on the uh, the voice modulator and them stabbing each other and then being like, "Yo, wait, wait, hold on, hold on, I'm getting a little woozy here." Yeah. Like, yeah. and Matthew Lillard is just so insanely over the top. Like, my mom's gonna kill me, and like, it's like it's just so much good stuff there for sure. Hmm. And Nev Campbell is just kind of like forced to watch them be psychos, yeah. and it's kind of disturbing, like very disturbing in that way. Um, but uh, let's talk about our final girl here, um, one of the best, and uh, leave her alone in the fifth one, please. Uh, Sydney Prescott, we we know her from first and second name, and uh, in the fifth, uh, the trailer for the fifth one, uh, uh, she says her own name. She says, "I'm Sydney Prescott." Blah blah blah. I won't spoil anything for you. Uh, and it's like, yes, there's a character that we know the first and last name of, uh, and we love her as our final girl. Um, any 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 connection to Nev Campbell before these movies, or is is this what you're gonna just kind of know her from? No, I had to I had to look her up, and uh, mm-hmm. I still I don't think I've seen her in anything else uh, except for uh, House of Cards. Sorry. Yeah, and this is kind of a precious performance that she puts out in all these movies. It's kind of a I, I get why you have people online being like, please do not kill this character just for that because this is a character who's gone through a ton of trauma. Like, and to kill her off in the fifth movie for no reason would be. Uh, dare I say effective <laughs> it would be very cheap and I wouldn't like to see it but um, yes In they're going to keep making these movies and in one of them she either has to be the killer or be killed which one is it for you well well, I guess we'll see won't we with the fifth one I mean yeah. I feel like that is the absolute easiest way to go with the, the killer in the fifth one is to just make it Sydney yeah but wh- um, which of these two things would you rather see honestly I mean, uh, you don't want to see either I would love to. It would ha- I mean, we wouldn't love it, but I, I, I'm not. I don't want to see that character die. I, I think that we could see the fallout of the trauma turning her into Ghostface. I think that that's the more likely scenario in in a, in a real person's life. Um, but also, she is being hunted to be killed in all the movies, so it would be realistic that one of these Ghostface would eventually succeed in that. But uh, can I pitch yeah. you my idea for a Scream movie? Yeah, pitch me your idea for Scream Five. Yeah, um, let's say Scream Six. No, because so, you don't know what that you don't know what Scream Five is. <laughs> all right, fine. Uh, Nev Campbell, uh, David Arquette, and Courtney Cox—the only characters who who come back—you know—they're back in town for whatever um, in Woodsboro. And uh, <laughs> good star, good star. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. See, I think I can sell it. Yeah. And and so what happens is the most of the movie, the like the second and third acts of the movie, take place over like an hour or so you you know you just need uh you need a setting like a big town festival or something you can't do a stabathon anymore but something like that so and, real time yeah yeah and the, one take the idea here is that you're trying to find out who the killer is and this the twist is that everyone every single person is the killer that you've seen okay. in the movie, and they don't know that the other people are killers. They're just trying to pull it off on their own to be the ghost face. <laughs> and so That's ev- good. That's good. Every extra, every person that you see <laughs> on camera is revealed to be a ghost face at some point. And the co- and the, the commentary is that they're all copycat killers, and every movie post-Scream has been a copycat of Scream. Yeah. That's the commentary. Yeah. All right. I get, I mean, was that the commentary or did I just add a little bit of punch to that? This one's called Skewer. <laughs> Ooh, skewering the, uh, that's the one thing that I, I, I do want to say that I can't really put a pointed thing on it, but I'm excited to see in Scream 5 what they're critiquing, what they're paying yeah, homage yeah. to, what they're saying about the current state of horror. 
Mm-hmm. That was always my most, that's what kept me going really um, to Scream 3 and Scream 4, even after I wasn't feeling them too much, is like, okay, what are they going to say in this next one? I'm excited to see it. And I think where the three, the third one talks about trilogies and the fourth talks about reboots, I think they didn't bite quite as hard as um, the original getting meta on itself with horror movies and the second right. talking about sequels. Totally. And sequels that are as good as the first ones and stuff like that, like having that conversation. Um, right. Do you have, I said that I, I, I claimed just to get a little spicy that the opening of the third one is my favorite sequence. Do you have a favorite sequence that isn't one of the opening sequences? Ooh, good question. Um, There's that really fun sequence in the third one uh, that's on the back lot where they're like at the stab house and um, Sydney is being kind of um, chased through the set, which I think is really fun. Eh. Yeah, too much. So the, yeah, so the third one. So the third one, I must just be very, I must be very attached to it emotionally because it's just like again, I didn't rewatch that one for this episode, but. I remember these sequences like there's that really goofy sequence where they're in the house and the gas is on and it like blows up like it like yeah. literally blo- they roll down the Hollywood over. You're like, man, like they really are just going for like, I don't know, like was is the commentary there like we're just going to get bigger and bigger and bigger until now we're in a, a slasher movie where houses are blowing up. I don't know that that part kind of lost me because I did think it was pretty stupid. Well, the third one also has the Jenna McCarthy, Jenny, Jean, oh my gosh, Jenna McCarthy scene where she's in uh, the room with all of the stab costumes. That's always yeah. fun. That's, That's a good one, fun. actually. Yeah, um, I, I think there are some good moments. I really like, I like both in one and two, two when uh, when Kennedy is doing his thing when he's yeah. telling the rules of the story. I just really like that, and I, I think they know that we like that because they have that sequence in every film. I uh, damn, I really have a sauce off of the third one because I remember very much being emotionally impacted by if you're watching this, I am dead. <laughs> like yeah. he like sends in the paper, you're like, oh, that's really sad. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, let's talk about Courtney Cox and David Arquette real quick. I know we're we are kind of winding down on time here, uh, but uh, yeah, you know what I would have liked is this. Let me know if it's too dark. But um, so I, he gets stabbed in the back in the first one. In the second one, we see him. Um, <laughs> yeah, he some, gets screwed up. <laughs> yeah, with some nerve damage, and I really like that touch of him sort of limping with his hand and everything. Um, and obviously, three years later, he's had his like uh, physical rehabilitation. Mm-hmm. But at the end, in the second one, he gets pretty pretty effed up. Also, I yeah. thought it would have been funny if he kept getting worse. So, like when we see him in the third one, maybe he's already in a wheelchair, you know. <laughs> and in the fourth one, he's like breathing through a tube or whatever, iron lung. Yeah, that I think I think that that's the character, and that in the fifth one here that I think we're gonna see go down as a Dewey character. I think that's gonna be a catalyst, some an emotional, a cheap emotional catalyst for the rest of the film, probably. Uh-huh. But I think we're gonna see uh, Dewey's last stand here against uh, Ghostface, which is that's always the interesting thing, right? Is that like in all of the other franchises, like your your Freddies, your like Ghostface, it, it, he's a different person in every movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that that's what is really interesting about the. I think that I had mentioned this recently somewhere, maybe on this podcast, maybe on another. That my favorite slasher in film is Ghostface because the actors who are playing Ghostface, if they I don't I don't even know, I never even looked into it. If they actually have the actors underneath, I seriously doubt it. But there's like a different physicality to him, kind of in some in the movies, and you know that there's always someone different. You know, hypothetically, there's always someone different underneath that that mask, and so um, it's just more dynamic. You know what I mean? We're getting something new, and we're getting a new motivation and everything every movie. Yeah, and I think it's also interesting because, in a way, Ghostface has the same personality. 
like he's always very aggressive. He always tries to play off cool um, right. at first, but he really has uh, no time for BS. Which movie has the most predictable reveal of who Ghostface is? Good question. Good question. Um, I think it's the fourth one. I think it's super obvious. You think <laughs> like so? When you, yeah, when you watch the movie, you you just kind of know who it's going to be the entire time. I mean, for me, at least, I remember watching it opening day at the Arclight. Uh, not in the Arclight Dome, but just in one of their normal theaters and being like, Emma Roberts is in this. And like she's like already in like scream queens and stuff on mtv and she like is no like american horror star she like plays like kind of the crazy character you know what i mean it was like it was like almost too on brand i don't know for me i didn't have that context i actually think that the the fourth one got me pretty good i think mostly because i didn't i was so bored by her character i just didn't even pay attention to what was going on with her you know the third one, the thing is that they're all pretty out of left field, except for the first one where we know these characters. Like yeah. the night after Drew Barrymore is murdered, we go to the fountain and we're sitting with um, Matthew Lillard and I keep wanting to say Scoot McNary, but that is not his name. <laughs> uh, they're there. They're sitting there talking about like, wow, that's fucked up. That's crazy. You know, like they're literally talking about it. Well, I think, um, I think the most disappointing reveal is also the most surprising for me, which is uh, yeah. in the third one, the, the yeah. director. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, just because uh, I, that one was the one that was most forced, I think. Sure. They had to create totally. the whole thing. And they, they, they got it meta. That that was also part of the problem where it was hard to excuse. They had the problems that they were making fun of, you know? And right. you can't really excuse those problems just for being self-aware. Um, Ski Ulrich. It just came to me, by the way. Ski Ulrich is that gentleman's name. <laughs> Skeet and um, Scoot. This would mean a lot to somebody who's maybe 10 years older than me, <laughs> Skeet Ulrich, and they'd be like, how do you not know who Skeet Ulrich is? Um, are you enthused to possibly check out the I Know What You Did Last Summer movies? Uh, I mean, yeah. You know, you're the, you're the true scary boy here. Um, so when it comes... I, I think that first one's really fun. I think that you should watch it. It's cool. The, the killer is a guy with a black hood on, and he has a hook for a hand. Like, he's like that classic killer. Like, oh, yeah, the, the fisherman guy with a hook for a hand. Just like, keep literally... in mind, I really didn't like Bloody Valentine. <laughs> well, no, no, no. This is this is very, like, if you like Scream, you'll at least somewhat enjoy this one. And it has Jennifer Love Hewitt and Sarah Michelle Gellar and Freddie Prince Jr. and Ryan Felipe. There's plenty of eye candy for you. <laughs> and uh, he's got that Dawson's Creek scream vibe, that Kevin Williamson vibe. Uh, I still know what you did last summer. Fantastic name for a for a sequel, but uh, they go to like a uh, they go to an island, <laughs> it's, it's a, which is really interesting. And like Jack Black is in it, and it's like really weird. But uh, I don't recommend that one. But again, I'm very emotionally attached to that one because. These movies came out at the time. It's just like how I'm attached to the Lost World Jurassic Park. Like these movies hit VHS while I was a certain age watching movies where I would just watch these ones as opposed to the originals. And then later in life, I watched Jurassic Park 1 and be like, oh, yeah, this is amazing. Or I watched the first Scream, you know. So um, any final words on the Scream or the Stab franchise? Yeah, I think if my maybe maybe I can change my favorite moment to um when in the second movie um they see a commercial for the girl playing um what's her name Neve sydney Camp- yeah sydney it's, it's i'm looking at the word right now on your thing i know my name is sydney <laughs> in the chat right now <laughs> um but yeah they're looking at the girl and she's talking about her role and then she they watch a clip and it's luke wilson <laughs> playing yeah, skeet's yeah. character 
Uh, That's great. Yeah, and I love they have that same conversation of like, I know your mom died, but you know you got to move on, and and uh, obviously Sydney gets upset and walks away, but then it cuts back to Luke Wilson, and he goes, he hits his head, dang it. it's just so bad yeah it's pretty funny uh yeah it's funny because like the third one a third one is the one with uh jay and silent bob right like like, that was so they they just jumped the shark man that's all that is is that those movies are made at miramax which is where kevin smith made all of his movies so he was like what if we were in scream 3 like wouldn't that be meta like we'd keep it within the miramax world you know there's kind of a precedent for it, or actually maybe the opposite, where you do see cl- a Clerks VHS tape in the first film. <laughs> okay. Well, that's our final thought. They jumped the gun on the third one, but I'm mm-hmm. still excited for the fifth one. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, w- I would say that overall, in terms of horror movies, I'm not super surprised that you enjoyed these ones a little bit more than some of the other stuff we've talked about. I do think that they're a cut above the rest. Can I wait, wait? This is my last thing. I don't think sure. these movies are scary at all. No, they're 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 not. They're not okay. scary. Okay. Yeah, the, I mean, it's very rare to have like a movie that's like so successful and like actually um, cultural penet- There's like penetration in the culture with this IP. Uh, that like the actually scary movies like Lake Mungo or like the, the those movies aren't franchises like they don't right. like they're like just little weird movies that get made that are mm. genuinely scary like The Descent or something where it's like yeah there was a sequel to The Descent but they hit the culture hard and then they can't be replicated whereas uh, In the Vast Scream... of Night baby ooh that's right you did love The Vast of Night you I found The Vast was... of Night scary yeah I thought it was pretty scary. Yeah, I, I do think the scene on, on the uh, where they're talking to the guy on the phone is pretty creepy. Yeah. yeah but there's a difference between creepy and scary. But these are fun. That um, You know, I, I talk with a friend of the show, Ian, all the time about how there just aren't any good slasher movies anymore. It's been a really long time since we've had a good slasher movie. So um, this uh, this Friday, tomorrow, as of this episode dropping, we could be getting a, a good slasher movie, and I'm excited about it. Have you seen any of the critic reviews? I have not. So I, I've been I've been avoiding everything because the uh, Scream Twitter account, the marketing team, is telling me to avoid everything. <laughs> and you'll do anything they say. I mean, they're doing a great job. I, I, I'm, and I, people are going to be like, oh, he must know someone who's on that. No, I don't know anyone on that team. I just think they're doing a great job just preying on nostalgia. Okay. Well, I guess we'll see uh, if we end up talking about Scream 5 on a future episode. Absolutely. Um, anything else? Any, do you want to plug anything before we get out of here? Um, sure. Why don't you guys check out my litter box that Trevor uh, plugged for me earlier today? How sweet! Yeah. Lurk, 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 lurk. <laughs> it's uh, Adam with three M's. And All then, right. Uh, check out my website, adamjcwagner.com, where I post the stuff I make. Awesome. And I am on Letterboxd at Trevor Dills. Uh, I haven't been doing a ton of stuff recently because of what we talked about at the beginning of the show, kind of busy getting uh diversifying uh the theater experience right now mm-hmm. uh and you can follow me at trevor dills on instagram and twitter always follow us at ghost party picks if you're not on instagram so when we post about this stuff thank you all for listening uh usually we say you should leave us a review on itunes if you're listening to this and you've been a listener for a while and i know some of you have take some time to just go on to the itunes store and leave us a review typically we like being roasted in the review but please give us five stars and we'll read it on the show um, I want to say I got my letterbox wrapped. Adam, actually, I, I'm giving the $12 or $6 a month or whatever. I'm actually a letterbox pro person now because I love the stats that they give you. But did you get your letterbox wrapped? Uh, no, I didn't. I, I think because I don't have access to the email. 
Oh. <laughs> okay, well, what they do is they send a thing out, and it tells you, like, because um, a lot of the stats on the pro thing will tell you this anyway, and I could have looked at it. Like, I can tell you who my all-time most director watched director is. I can tell you who my all-time most watched actor is. But this year, my all-time wa- – I'm not sorry. This year, my most watched director uh, was who? Uh, that's an easy one. Yes, it is. It's very Lucas. easy. <laughs> uh, no. And my most watched actor is – this is not so easy, and I was very surprised by this. Uh, Catherine Zeta Jones. <laughs> Correct. So my most watched actor was Bill Murray. Weirdly, <laughs> okay. And my most most watched director, obviously, because I've seen his new movie five times, is Paul Thomas Anderson. Okay, yeah. Um, but if you think of my film taste, generally pretty hard genre lover, uh, it's very funny to imagine uh, me only watching movies with like made by Paul Thomas Anderson or starring Bill Murray. Like it just makes my taste seem so whimsical. You know what I mean? Like. <laughs> And then it made me think, like, that'd be a pretty good pairing of a director-actor. Yeah. You know, I heard um, the only reason um, Bill Murray took the role of Sonic is because he thought Paul Thomas Anderson was directing it. (laughs) Thank you all for listening to Ghost Party Radio. Adam, we have officially screamed. Bye. Bye. There are certain rules that one must abide by in order to successfully survive a horror movie. And number three... Never, ever, ever, under any circumstances, say, I'll be right back. Because you won't be back. I'm getting another beer. You want one? Yeah, sure. I'll be right back. <laughs>